Welcome to the latest installment of the Best Ball Study Hall. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. Joining me again today is our returning hero, Matt Schauf, as we do the AFC West. And that will complete the four-show series with Matt. You can check the rest of those out on his website, draftsharks.com. And we have been going through and studying just giving ourselves a baseline in each division of what to expect from each team moving forward, looking for things we may have missed, comparing it to current ADP and things of that nature. Uh, we've been using ADP on underdog fantasy. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's fun to have like some practical application for this already because a lot of times we're looking back at stuff at the beginning of the year we're doing it from a standpoint of having you know we'll say like i don't know how drafters are going to feel about this guy next year but now it's already next year we're a bunch of drafts in uh, so we have adps we have rookies starting to mix in so it's it's fun to see what changes and what doesn't I, i think that's where you can already start to build your edge in some of these drafts yeah, and I saw uh, Eric Beamfor, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, talking about how everyone, you know, is sitting there on Twitter saying, oh, remember when Jamar Chase dropped a few passes and he dropped a few rounds? You know, he dropped a few passes in camp and everyone freaked out. And th- now everyone's like, well, uh, Akers is washed because he, he rushed back from injury and you know, averaged 1.3 yards a carry pretty much for the whole playoffs. You know, he he didn't look good. And I tend to be, I mean, we're not doing that division now, but I think that is the big advantage of what you and I are doing is we're just kind of analyzing and checking each other's biases uh, versus the actual numbers. Um, I saw another post today, and it's about the first team we'll talk about. It was about people saying how much they like Nicole Hardman. And I hate to start uh, kind of at the end of that team from the beginning. But, I mean, to me, all year long, they were, you know, I, I had a ton of Byron Pringle. But nobody really established themselves as a good, solid number two there this year. Uh, Mecole had, you know, the la- what's the last thing we saw? Well, he played pretty well in the, the last game or two of the playoffs, and now everyone's ready to load up on him. I mean, my initial thought on Mecole Hardman is, you know, he's not guaranteed to be the two or the three next year. They tried to get Juju Smith-Schuster last year, and, and I think it's, a you know, it's reasonable to assume Juju's a guy they might have on the radar this year. But all the more, the Chiefs, I think, are going to look to add someone to that offensive receiving court. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming as well. I mean, they signed Josh Gordon last year. I know that we weren't expecting big stuff from him, and he didn't do anything big. But it's a sign that they're still tinkering. You know, maybe Mikal Hardman takes a step forward. I'm certainly not betting on it. I think he's going to stay a gimmicky kind of player that, you know, can add a little bit of value, but is not going to turn into a big fantasy contributor. And then, you know, I, I know that you, you mentioned Cam Akers and moved on from him. Um, and I don't want to harp on him too much because that's going to be Jared's show tomorrow. But uh, Cam Akers and Nicole Hardman are good examples of drafting right now versus drafting much later. And that if you're drafting or not drafting a guy based on how he looked last week or over the past month, then you're doing it wrong because these games are getting played a long time from now. So my take on Cam Akers is that even though he was just off this Achilles tear and just back on the field and seemed like he rushed, the Rams were like, oh, sweet, Cam Akers is back. Let's give him the ball a whole lot. And then we're going to keep doing it throughout the playoffs, even though it's not getting him anywhere. So that's the part I'm excited about. And, you know, we've had several years of Nicole Hardman. The Chiefs have not found a way to consistently get him the ball. So I don't see a reason to believe right now that that's going to suddenly happen this fall. Yeah. And again, back to my original premise of what I'm looking for, especially in the rounds that Miko Hardman is being drafted in. I I don't think there's a floor necessarily, at least at at this point. 
Um, maybe there'll be a floor if we get through free agency and there's nobody on, um, you know, added to the to the roster. But, you know, if I'm betting money right now, I'm betting I, I'd rather look for someone else. I mean, let's just look over here at where Miko Hardman is going. So you can get Juju at wide receiver 47. I mean, Miko's certainly cheap enough at wide receiver 67. You know, just to be, but it's still the beginning of the 13th round for a guy that you just don't have any idea about. And if he was a player on any other team other than the one with Patrick Mahomes, you know, I think he'd be going two or three rounds later. And let's put Nicole Hardman in context, too. I mean, the guys around him, we've got Devontae Parker right there. We've got Curtis Samuel right behind him. I mean, if you're drafting there looking for somebody with a high ceiling, Curtis Samuel is. It's it's he has already shown us the kind of stuff we hope to see from Nicole Hardman, and he's already gotten paid by the team that now has him. So he's coming off an injury. He would be higher than that if he had been healthy all this season. He's the guy that you want to take right there if you have high hopes for Nicole Hardman because her, Curtis Samuel has a much clearer path. He just doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. Devontae Parker has already shown that he can be at least a solid wide receiver too for a team that now doesn't have a whole lot of answers heading into the fall outside of Jalen Waddle. So he's got big upside from that range. So with those two sandwiching Nicole Hardman, I, I just don't have a reason to give anything more than cursory attention to Hardman. Yeah. Uh, in other words, and this is where my uh, tier drafting with tiebreakers comes in. The only time I would be willing to take Nicole in this range right now is if I had Patrick Mahomes or perhaps I had Tyreek and or Kelsey early to a lesser extent because of the correlation, right? And mm -hmm. then if you get an injury, well, Miko could become more valuable. Uh, you mentioned the guy that I have my eye on the most and have drafted the most in that range at the wide receiver position in Curtis Samuel. I also have taken some LaVisca, some Julio, some Gage, and some Landry. I think all of those are real solid picks. And I think George Pickens is a guy coming off an ACL who just barely got back last year, who could surprise, um, you know, very role dependent. But there's a lot of choices in that range just at the wide receiver position. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a mostly wide receiver area. Mm -hmm. uh, but also then you throw in the quarterbacks. Uh, and that this is a range where I do tend to... Uh, like, I like Tua a lot in that range. Mm -hmm. I think Tua with Mike McDaniel coming into town, he's he's right now, my, you know, and we did this show before the McDaniel news. That's a guy who I have a, a, a lot of interest right now as my second quarterback. Yeah, I like Tua and Devontae Parker right there. I like getting Trevor Lawrence probably right before that range. And then you've got both LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones where you could go, you could get either of them or both of them. And then Dan Arnold a little bit behind that. So just from every angle, it, it's just, it doesn't get me to McCall Hardman. All right. Let's look at Patrick Mahomes. Obviously he didn't have the kind of year that we expect from him. 66% completion percentage, 37 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but we didn't see the spike weeks as teams adjusted to the, the, the long passing game by putting two deep safeties out there. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes finally adjusted later on. Stat-wise, you know, I mean, he's not far off from what he had done in past years, but he, his win percentage, certainly, he what you know, what we were missing is those spike weeks. Right now, looking over at the quarterback position, he is uh, going at quarterback number two, but at pick 31 in this uh, half PPR, that's a little too early for me. Yeah, I think it's a little too early on its own. I would bet that he's being pushed up a little bit by people who are drafting Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. And Kelsey and at the turn. I'm sure that stack. But the, but even then, that doesn't make sense because, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, Hill, maybe Hill, because Kelsey's been going right around the turn. So Kelsey's 15 and Hill is 9. So, yeah, 9 to 31. So people who are taking Tyreek. And I think I, I still think it's a mistake. I, I, I still think that I mean, I did it once myself, um, <laughs> but I think I got Tyreek around 11 or 12 and got Mahomes around 35 or 36. 
uh, which is, you know, one of my strategies, Even and we've talked about it, even if you don't like an ADP, when a guy drops a little bit from his ADP and you've got a stack, mm-hmm. that's when I'll get some ownership on a player. Yeah. It's not for me a stack that I feel like I need to get. And you'll still see people draft just naked Patrick Mahomes in that same range because there was one draft where I was looking to get and thought I was about to get Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill and somebody in front of me took him. And it's like, what are you even doing? You just damaged both of our teams by making that pick. So I think what Patrick Mahomes, if you look at the final numbers, it wasn't a bad season by any means. It looks disappointing because of what he set us up for in his first season as a starter. But what he showed us is that he's not a big advantage over the rest of the quarterbacks. And it looked like from his first year as a starter, he might just be, you know, a perennial differentiator. It turns out he's just a really good fantasy quarterback. So don't go out of your way to make sure that you have Mahomes, even if you have Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. But we do know that the ultimate ceiling's there. There have been some signs, though, this year that maybe there's a crack. You mentioned defense is seeming to figure it out. He had strong games at the beginning of the season. He had strong games later in the season. There was really a rough patch from about week five through week 13. And then there was also maybe some dip in Travis Kelsey's usage makes you wonder if he's starting to show his age a little bit, you know, all this stuff could change by next season, but it's at least worth pondering at this point. So Travis Kelsey's age, uh, not having an extra threat beyond Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey, Maybe those things are starting to damage what the Chiefs have been able to do over the past few years, especially in terms of the spike weeks that help us out in fantasy. When you look at the targets, uh, Tyreek had 159, 111 receptions, good year, but 11.2 yards per carry. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. They adjusted, right? So we give them credit for adjusting. Um, His TDs were down from 15 to 9. And he had 12 a couple years before that. And then, you know, he normally, you know, you see a lot less of them giving him the ball as well near the goal line. You know, they'll still hand it off to him. But when I watched them, they weren't, you know, that play that they would do where they would give it to him near the goal line. Mm -hmm. Wasn't seeing as much of that until the the, the disastrous loss against the Bengals. (laughs) But, you know, I'm okay with Tyreek's ADP. Kelsey, obviously, a little bit less. When we look at their salary cap, they're $3 million over the cap. So, you know, they're going to probably restructure some people, I would guess. $92 million dead cap on Mahomes. Well, that wasn't going to happen. Chris Jones, Frank Clark. One thing we, we probably will see is because there were fans in the seats this year, Versus last year, we might see an increase in the salary cap that we did not see last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Thune's not cuttable. I mean, there's they could restructure any of these key guys and give them some extra, you know, like Kelsey. I think Kelsey's on his last year. Yeah, he's certainly getting toward the end there. And anytime a team is not pressing no, over the cap, then I, th- I generally believe that they're going to figure out a way to make whatever they want to work. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't exactly. That was exactly my takeaway. Um, Byron Pringle is a free agent. They probably, I, I don't think they'll bring Demarcus Robinson back. Although I never thought they would keep him playing as much as they did. Yeah, they and, keep bringing and, him back on one year deals every year. We keep thinking he's going to go and he just doesn't. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think Pringle showed more, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon and Derek Gore, all free agents. You know, uh, when we look at Jarek, you know, Jarek McKinnon, I drafted a ton of in best ball. And then, of course, they didn't use him. And he had a terrible advance rate for me. But he's going. It's something like uh, running back 46 or something like that. You can 49 right now. Okay. I mean, I've been avoiding him there. I, I see the point. But I, I feel like even let's say they re-sign him early in free agency. That doesn't mean, you know, you've still got CEH there. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean they don't add another back. You know, and, and we were talking about, um, you mentioned Josh Gordon. I mean, this is a team that has, con- you know, what I look for is a consistency. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that has consistency, consistently brought in people over the years. 
right? Mm-hmm. Andy Reid is not afraid to bring in uh, offensive talent. So it, it just makes me, you know, I like McKinnon, but, and there's certainly a ceiling there. So I don't blame anyone who takes him, but I have found other guys uh, later that I f- or some rookies that I feel just as good about. Yeah, to me, Jarek McKinnon's just not a guy to draft right now. He doesn't have a contract as of now. He's old. He's got knee injuries behind him. He didn't do anything this year until after Clyde Edwards-Elair went down. And I think Daryl Williams was also hurt at that point. We finally saw him flash in the playoffs where both of those guys were hurt. So the, the bet is against Jarek McKinnon, I think, at any, really any spot in the draft. He's not somebody I'm touching at all. If you're in our group, you know, I always say come study with us, our good friend Jose Pena has asked uh, and you know so ask if you have questions if you want to participate in the discussion I do check into the screen a lot Todd is this info only for the FFPC or can I use it for BB10s underdog etc well I think you know we're looking at underdogs ADP I'm noticing uh, I finally did uh, break down and I'm doing two of these slow $125 basketballs one with Billy Musio one by myself, and I am noticing that there are some significant differences in ADP. So what I like to do, uh, Jose, is I like to look at all three ADPs next to each other and buy a player where he's discounted the most. So if I'm looking at a site and like Donta Foreman is going much later uh, right now, I think on underdog and that's half PPR. So I think to myself, well, if I want some Don to form and that's where I'm going to take him. Right. Uh, so you, you, you just want um, a little bit of overall knowledge um, of where they are. That's an old DFS trick. Is it not Matt? <laughs> yeah. As far as I know, you're a much better DFS player than I am. So you tell me what yeah. the tricks are. In the old days, you know, if, you know, if you go to Fantasy Labs, they would have DraftKings and FanDuel this uh, per, uh, percentage of, you know, where they are versus the other site. And it's a way to, you know, get ownership on a player where you're getting a discount. Now, sometimes because uh, in DFS, there's salary considerations that make it, that's why. But in a vacuum, Always try and draft guys where they're cheapest. Get, you know, we're trying to build an overall portfolio where, you know, for best ball, where our money is split up, where we're getting the best deal. You know, the best thing you can do is take ADP discounts. Mm -hmm. I mean, out of all the 10 or 15 strategy tips that I might give you, that's the greatest one. CEH, I mean, we can't leave without discussing him. I mean, he is cheap. Uh, running back 28, going in pick 88. I mean, what's that? The seventh seventh round? Round eight, right? Yeah, round eight. Yeah. I wish sites did that. I wish they put, like, instead of 88, they put, you know, 12, you know, eight point whatever. But mm-hmm. thoughts on CEH that late? There's nothing but love in my heart for him at that stage. And I have no strong feelings for Clyde edwards Lair overall, but... I mean, round eight when he is, he's going to be the top running back. I don't know about clear lead or exactly what his role or exactly who will be there with him, but you just went through the list. He's the only running back with any experience that is definitely going to be on the Chiefs roster next year. And that's been a positive place to play running back. So over the past four years, which is how long Mahomes has been their starter, Chiefs running backs have totaled the fifth most PPR points, um, the 15th most PPR points, 24th in 2020, and then 14th this past season. And that was with CEH missing a big chunk of time, Daryl Williams kind of in and out. So with a team that doesn't run the ball a ton, they're in the upper half of the league most years in collecting PPR points. So it's just a good place to be a running back. So if you're telling me I can have the top Chiefs running back in round eight, my only challenge so far has been to not draft him at times, just in case something really bad happens. Yeah. Like him, because <laughs> you know, he, he's been at times really, not really bad, but, but even and if we got him in round eight, either the past two years, we would not be complaining about him at all. He would look like he would. Look well, like- I, that's why I just looked. If, if you saw, he, he had a 7% advance rate, uh, but he only played 
10 games, right? So you got to figure if he had played all the games, he would have been probably close to double that or about 14%, which is slightly under, but he was a second round pick, right? Now he's in the eighth round. So I'm with you. Uh, I've taken some of him so far. I mean, in the beginning when I was doing a few of these things, he was in the fifth, sixth round. Uh, Now he's moved on. So I think that covers everything for the Chiefs, unless you've got anything you want to discuss. No, I think that's pretty much it. I, I would, I'll, I'll reiterate that I'm not overall worried about Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. But you know, we all talked about how maybe defenses are figuring them out. We got a career low average target depth from Mahomes. We got Tyreek Hill's lowest a dot since his rookie year. We got Travis Kelsey's lowest a dot since Patrick Mahomes arrived. So. You know, there's definitely some element of defenses figuring it out there. And I'll be curious to see if we get a bounce back or if it's just we have to reset the bar of expectations for these guys. Yeah, I I, I won't. uh, And I haven't been taking the quarterbacks that early because I just think you can, you know, based on what we saw last year and what's likely, I mean, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen in the second or third round versus come down to Dak. I've been taking a lot of Dak at, at pick 72, Aaron Rodgers at 81, Stafford at 83, Hertz at 89, Russ 94, Fields 100. Uh, now that these things are 20 rounds, I'm not afraid to take three quarterbacks more often. I mean, all things being equal, I'm not taking a quarterback unless I really like him or it completes a stack. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, and if that means I end up with three late with 20 rounds, I'm okay with that. Yeah. The only time I'm taking Mahomes is if I already have Tyreek Hill. I've, I've been taking Tyreek Hill more than Travis Kelsey because he's fourth among wideouts right now, um, which I like. But even then, if I have Tyreek Hill and I don't get Mahomes, I'm not shedding any tears. Yeah. There's no guarantee of who will be there with Patrick Mahomes. But we looked in that range, and Juju is not that far ahead of where Miko Hardman is. I would much rather take Juju. Mm-hmm. Hope he ends up, you know, if I have a Chiefs stack, I would much rather take a rookie who might end up there or a, a guy like Juju who I think is is a, a really good value right now than, you know, dip for Miko or Pringle. Byron Pringle's not even on the Chiefs anymore, and he's – he really barely paid off a 20th round ADP last year. And now Byron Pringle is going 18th round last year, 173. So I I think he might've dropped a little lately, but um, all right, let's move on to the, uh, to the Raiders, but you get my point. Mm -hmm. I, you know, this is the time where spec, you know, this is the point, where uncertainty is hurting certain guys. So a guy like Juju, I know he hasn't played that great, but he was hurt this year. He had no quarterback. And even if we get the same Juju from the last two years at that level, he's not killing you. Yeah, and I agree with that, Kevin. Glad to see you uh, back here, and thanks for studying with us. Uh, All right, so let's look at the um, the Raiders – and, and this is a situation uh, overall that I am buying the heck out of early. I think that John Gruden was a pretty good offensive coach, but man, Josh McDaniels might not be a genius, but one thing he always has done is get the ball in the hands of the people he should. And I mean, Josh Jacobs ADP right now, I, I mean, he might be my favorite guy in the board. Last year in the FFPC, uh, with what was his pass-through rate? 17%. So 17% and what was his game? So he, he didn't play all the games. You know, so he gave you back about what you wanted from him last year. And he's going a little bit later. And he's now got a guy who throws to running backs, right? I don't know. I I feel I'm really feeling Josh Jacobs at ADP right now. Honestly, every time somebody talks about how much they don't like Josh Jacobs and what a waste he is on a roster, I just smile and say, all right, I'll just take him in the sixth round when I'm looking running back there. Uh, Yeah. And he's my third running back on most teams. 
you know, he's been kind of touchdown dependent to this point to get, you know, spike weeks. But you add just another 20 or 30 targets and and he moves into the second round discussion next year. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's tough to speculate what he gets on that front with new coaches in there. And I'm sure that that roster has some work left to do. But he, we've seen his receiving work increase each of the past two years. So we knew coming into the league that that aspect was there, that he could do it. We've seen a little bit more that he is doing it. And there's not a reason right now to worry about somebody um, reining in on that work. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm excited about Josh Jacobs, but the most exciting thing about him is that nobody's excited about Josh Jacobs. So he's never going to be a, a hot pick in ADP. He's always going to be available where you want him. Yeah, I think that there's a good chance they bring in a third down back. They've got $21 million. And I mean, last year they did that. They brought in Kenyon Drake for a whole bunch of money, and we got more Josh Jacobs targets and receptions than ever before. Yeah, let's look to see if Kenyon Drake, you know, and he was hurt pretty late in the season. Mm-hmm. It was only $5.5 million in uh, in dead cap. I mean, it's possible they could uh, they could cut him. I don't think they will, but, um, you know, all the more that means that there's a good chance that Jacobs is there. But And I guess my point is, even if they bring in a third down type, he's going to get a lot more drop-offs on first and second down. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to oversell Josh Jacobs, but it's just because nobody ever likes him, he just stays in a value range. He's not going to win your tournament, but he's not going to lose it either. He's just a... a it's not, he's a nice safety blanket to find there if you, you know, didn't go running back heavy early. It allows you to say, oh, I know Josh Jacobs will be there. And if not, Clyde Edwards will be there two rounds later. And if not, then Miles Sanders is going to be there another round after that. Darren Waller is a great, another value to me right now. Had 93 targets in 11 games, and it seemed like half of them were week one. But again, you've got a, an upgraded coach who I think is going to use him consistently. And I know people said, well, teams adjusted to him. Well, I think that, that you know, with that 21 million, I could really see the Raiders bringing in a good top outside receiver. Hunter Renfro is, you know, as as good as it gets. He's the only guy in the team, though. I could see his targets regressing. Um, although, again, in the Josh McDaniels offense, that slot guy has been money historically. I mean, the biggest thing in either of their favors right now is that there's nothing else there. Zay Jones is a free agent right now. Deshaun Jackson's a free agent for whatever that's worth. And I don't care if defenses have adjusted to Darren Waller. If you give me a, a, a tight end who's getting eight and a half targets a game, the defense can do whatever it wants. He's Still caught plenty of balls last year. He actually averaged more yards per catch than the year before. You know, we'll see who they sign if it's somebody big, but it's going to have to be somebody quite big before I'm really worried about the impact on Darren Waller. And the other, you know, the biggest factor is that what happened to him this past season has his ADP dropped back down. So yeah, if he was still going at, you know, the two, three turn in leagues like underdog one, two turn in FFPC, then I'd be like, nah, I, I saw this last season, but if we can get him now in round four, round five, whatever around there in a particular format, you know, why not? Well, and that's exactly what I did with Mark Andrews. Two years ago, Mark Andrews was coming off the board as, you know, tight end two or three on FFPC right at the two, three turn. And I felt it was too expensive. Last year, he was in the fourth round and he was a target for me. Now at tight end five, I pick 37. I mean, Waller is a, a great choice to me. Um, and, the, you know, one of the first things I ever learned about playing fantasy football is there's only, you know, there's no bigger difference than the difference between an elite tight end and the rest of the pack. And there tends to be only about three or four of them a year, every year, consistently, all the way back to 2000. So, you know, getting a tight end early is is something that not just us, but a lot of smart people uh, hype up. Mm-hmm. All right. Zay Jones late. I mean, Brian Edwards late. 
I'm willing to take a chance on 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 all of them. I, I I feel like Brian Edwards could be that post type sleeper. I don't mind taking him late. And Derek Carr, I mean, nobody likes the guy, but a 68% completion percentage, 23 TDs, 14 interceptions, with his quote number one wide receiver and Henry Ruggs gone. And Waller hurt for a number of games. I think Derek Carr remains a very solid choice where he goes and drafts. Yeah, he's getting a little bit more draft respect this year than he was last year. I think you brought him up. I think he's QB 17. Last year he was in the 20s, but you know that's certainly still a fine range value-wise. I'm going to be curious to see what the Raiders do with Hunter Renfro this offseason because he's heading into the final year on his rookie deal. And you would think after the year he just had that he'd be in line for an extension before this coming season begins. You know, new coaching staff might complicate that a bit. He had lots of things working in his favor. Extra targets from there just not being that much around him in the offense. Darren Waller's injury only helps further. An 80.5% catch rate is probably not going to happen again, even though Derek Carr is on the higher end of accuracy and you know completion percentage for quarterbacks. So that's probably coming down some. The touchdown rate spiked for Hunter Renfro, but it was probably more of a correction than it was getting him to an unsustainable range because he still only scored on 9% of his catches this past season. So if he, I mean, he can easily score on 7 to 9% of his receptions going forward. The question will be how many targets he gets. I think he's fine where he's going. I haven't really gotten to him a whole lot just because it's not full PPR. And I think there's a little bit more risk built in, especially for best ball purposes. But again, not against him where he's going. And then I agree with you that both Zay Jones, Brian Edwards, they're going late enough that you don't have to make a case for or against them. I'm leaning a little bit more Zay Jones just because we've seen it with him. But at this time last year, we had not really seen it with him. And maybe that's where Brian Edwards is now. Yeah, so you, you look here, and this is this is a very interesting tier. So you've got Mike Williams, Michael Pittman, Michael Thomas, uh, Marquise Brown, Daryl Mooney, all guys that you know really have the spike week potential, you know, big upside. And then you've got Hunter Renfro, and you say, oh well, I I don't like Hunter Renfro. You know, I'm never taking Hunter Renfro over any of these guys. But then it kind of falls off the table with a, a, a raw rookie, Beckham, who just got hurt, Gabriel Davis, who to me is rounds earlier than he should be. I think Brandon Cooks is a good pick. I think Ayuk's a good pick. I think Thielen's a good pick and Woods and Tony later. So I, I don't have much interest in Renfro there just from the wide receiver perspective. Then you throw in the whole board. Yeah, it doesn't change that much. It's kind of a dead zone. Yeah. If Once you get past Mooney to me, one, two, three, four, I'm okay with Hawkinson. You know, I, I'm going to reach. I'm going to reach for a Dak. I'm going to reach for a Dallas Goddard. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine taking Harris. I, I just don't see myself taking Hunter Renfro where he's going. Yeah. I, I, I think half PPR, there's too much chance that they bring in other people and his He's not peppered as much. Yes, I agree with that. And I, I've been taking a lot more Marquise Brown in that range. Yeah, that's the uh, well, but I love Mooney because then you can come back and, and and get, you know, you can reach a little bit for fields and still mm -hmm. feel pretty good about the fields pick. So yeah. um, I should Mooney's probably been, be working in more Mooney too. Fields really showed an affin affinity to throw to him over a guy like Allen Robinson, who, you know, is a good player. And one thing I've noticed, you know, you'll hear me with my little sayings. One of my sayings is once a quarterback kind of locks into a favorite receiver, it doesn't tend to change. You know, once a guy likes throwing to a guy, he tends to keep throwing to him. Mm -hmm. Although I say that right after I just dissed Hunter Renfro. <laughs> Anything else here? Uh, I don't think so. I think we hit him pretty well. No, no love for Peyton Barber? <laughs> no, he's a free agent too. I would love to see Marcus Mariota get another chance somewhere. And they're talking about Derek Carr now being expected to get an extension. So I think if that, you know, if that's true, it certainly would make sense for Mariota to hit the market. And he's a better option than Mason Rudolph, among other players, I would think. Yeah. And he's also, you know, he had a bum arm and now it's three years later. Mm -hmm. So maybe his arm is healthier. Um, it'll be interesting because he's had no interest from anybody the last couple of years.
But um, I always find it interesting. You know, we talk about Twitter. I always find it interesting that, like, during the beginning of the playoffs, right up into the Super Bowl, you hear about all these teams moving on from quarterbacks. And then as soon as the Super Bowl ends, teams resign those same guys. Mm. Um, and, or you'll hear, well, Kirk Cousins, it's, it, it was 65% he'll leave. Now it's 20. I mean, it's just not that easy to move on from these. I, I get the fans wanting to move on from a guy who's perennially the 13th to 22nd best quarterback, that it's hard to win a, a Super Bowl with those guys. But what you don't realize is how hard it is to replace that guy. And then if you're a coach or a general manager and your job's on the line, do you really want to take a chance shooting for someone who could be either someone who will get you to the next level or be the 28th best quarterback? Yeah. If you've got Kirk Cousins or you've got Derek Carr, I just, you know, it's not the prettiest thing to watch, but you're, you're okay. But it's hard. It's hard to move on. And especially if you're going to go for a rookie, you, you, you keep them and then you, you, you take a rookie and hope you see enough out of your rookie to let them go the next year. So like, I really would expect the, the Vikings to, to look to get a quarterback in the draft, mm-hmm. let Kirk Cousins play another year. And then you still got, you know, four years on a rookie deal with that quarterback. Moving over to the Chargers, new coach. Everyone loves the coach and for good reason. And once again, I mean, they just choked at the end of the year. It was kind of just wonder how certain franchises, no matter who's the coach, end up having the same issues. Mm -hmm. But this is a team with 57 million in cap space, a young quarterback. On his rookie deal, still. On his rookie deal. Plenty of talent. I mean, there's not much to say about Justin Herbert. Um, I mean, I think he's going a little early for me as quarterback three at pick 45. But what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to think that the quarterback going there is going too early. So uh, it it sounds redundant, but he is probably as safe as anybody up there, I I guess short of Josh Allen. But Justin Herbert was basically identical in terms of his fantasy scoring efficiency the past two years. And he's finished ninth as a rookie and then third last year in fantasy points per game without having an outlier type of season. His touchdown rates has been 5.2 and 5.7%. So he hasn't had a spike there. His yards per pass attempt have been 7.3 and seven and a half. He had a couple extra rushing touchdowns as a rookie that dropped a little bit last year, but he made up for it with a few more passing touchdowns. So I guess my point is Justin Herbert, am I going to target him at QB three? No, because I'm not targeting a quarterback three, but there's a chance that he has one of those 7% touchdown pass seasons and is the top scoring quarterback. He could outscore Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen next year. And I would not be shocked. And he's stackable in that range with Keenan Allen, who's still probably going later than he should among wide receivers. And and see, I struggle with Keenan Allen because you don't get the spikes weeks out of Keenan Allen. You did have a pretty good uh, advance rate, 20%. Could there be more meat on the bone? There could, but he's just never been a big touchdown scorer. Yeah, and he certainly loses a little bit of juice and half PPR for that. But, you know, it's the question of who's better, the guy who gets you 18 points every week or the guy who gets you 30 and then 10. Um, the, the, the problem is if you take him in the third round, mm-hmm. you, you literally have to take Herbert in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, boy, I you know, that, that's just tough for me. Right? Yeah, and I, I, mean, I, I don't think it's bad. Right. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's bad. But it's not something I'm excited about either. Yeah, it's not a target stack for me. I think I have one Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert team so far. And I've got, I think I'm 19 drafts in that have gotten to the point where I could have had those guys. So it's certainly not a target stack. But it is one where I think even though Justin Herbert is the third quarterback off the board right now, I think there is still upside to his scoring. I'm at least glad to see that he's not going behind Joe Burrow at this point. Yeah. We talked about the Bengals uh, and and my feeling on their, um, like, I can't, it's hard to argue their ADP, but at the same time, someone in that group is going to, is going to bomb. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I think someone in that group is likely to bomb next year. You say that, though, and if you get Joe Burrow an offensive line, maybe I'm wrong. So those are tough calls that you're forced to make on Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Who else interests you on this team? I mean, I think otherwise it's pretty straightforward until we see what else lands around them. Austin Eckler was as good as we could have hoped that he would be this year. Keenan Allen continued to be Keenan Allen, where he's not going to score a bunch of touchdowns, but he finished PPR wide receiver 11. I know that comes down a bit for half PPR, but you know he, he's a reliable high-end wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside if he does find touchdowns at some point. Beyond that, Mike Williams is a free agent. Jared Cook, Justin Jackson are free agents. Jalen Guyton's a restricted free agent. Donald Parham is an exclusive rights free agent. So, you know, those two guys will be back if the Chargers want them. But we'll have to see what they do otherwise. There's a lot to be settled here. Yeah. Let's talk Austin Eckler. Uh, this goes back to my, I need to be more open to things that haven't happened when there's a coaching change. Eckler got... The knock was, well, he's not he's not a touchdown back, right? He doesn't get the goal line work. Well, he got 12 touchdowns this year and he got goal line work. So the issue is they could look to, you know, they could look to add another back in the draft. I think that's certainly not out of the realm. But you have to pay now pick one four or one five to get Austin Eckler. I I uh pick he he's uh Pick five right now. There's no one else that I love more there, you know, but I can't say that I'm excited to take Austin Eckler at that point. Yeah, I mean, he's just in a range where you're mixing exposures. I don't I don't think there is a, a guy to love in that range. And it, there probably shouldn't be, really. If it, I, I found that if there is somebody that I love in round one, then I'm probably overrating him a little bit. Yeah, uh, very fair point. I mean, I'm not going to take a shot on Larry Roundtree or Joshua Kelly. I'm not too interested in Justin Jackson, even though he he did show out. And he was a guy that I love coming out. The year he came out, he was my second favorite tape because he always made the first guy miss. But it's hard to get too excited because, but I, I don't think you can argue his ADP either. I think the only argument is that he's a free agent, so... Any running back who's a, a veteran free agent has more risk. Yeah. And 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 frankly, he's been hurt a lot in his career. And, and and the type of injuries that I do worry about. I don't worry about the guy who had two major injuries, came back his third year, didn't get injured. I, I don't worry about guys like that because um, uh, major injuries are, you know, are a freak of nature, can happen to anyone at any time. The guys I worry about are the guys who are constantly nicked up. Mm -hmm. And Jackson is one of those guys who's been constantly out for one thing after another after another, never season ending, but, you know, he's going to miss three weeks. He's going to miss five weeks. I think if he re-signs here, I think he is, he then becomes pretty interesting because mm -hmm. if something does happen to Austin Eckler, I think he is, he's one of the more valuable backups and you get a four or five round discount on a Tony Pollard. But other than that, right this second, he's not on my range. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll be much more interested if he resigns with the Chargers. Palmer, thoughts on Palmer. I, I like Josh Palmer. I, he, I think his ADP is kind of showing that people like him. It's not, you know, it's not outlandish, but I also wouldn't say I'm chasing him too hard just because he's in a range where other guys also have upside. And, you know, we'll see who they sign. You just looked at the cap space. They have plenty of room to do whatever they want. So maybe Josh Palmer is their third wide receiver um, or, you know, I guess maybe fourth, but I like the player. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not breathless for him. Yeah, 49 targets, 33 receptions, 10.74 touchdowns. Had some games where, you know, he he was on the field more with injuries to Mike Williams. I, I, I think he's fine. I think he's a guy that, you know, if you really believe in him and think that he's, you know, one of those, you know, one of these second year guys who's going to really take a step up, fine. Kevin Wheeler likes Guyton over Palmer at price. 
I mean, last year I was all excited about Tyron Johnson and Guyton, and then they drafted Palmer. And, you know, a lot of my early 28-round best balls had the the Tyron Guyton stack, which I, you know, I thought mid, mid to late 20th round was a great idea. It didn't work out. I I think all these guys are very susceptible to one or two additions being made because if they even just bring in a significant tight end, although Herbert didn't throw to Hunter Henry when he was when he had him, but anyway, uh, a lot, a lot, you know, uh, all these guys are worth taking shots on. It's also worth say. noting for Josh Palmer that he had a couple of the college red flags that we look at in prospects. He was a senior coming into his draft. So, you know, he didn't leave early. He wasn't a market shares winner at Tennessee. I know, I believe there was some injury stuff at play there, but he was more of like a, you know, flashy player who made sense as a mid rounder. And then he landed somewhere with upside. So if you're drafting Josh Palmer and saying, I'll take some Josh Palmer here and see what happens. That's the way to, to view him. If you're like, Oh, this is the breakout season for Josh Palmer. Then you're probably a little bit too excited about him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very reasonable. You know, wide receiver 60, it's not exactly cheap, right? All right, so in this range, he's going right near a rookie, David Bell. And and we already talked about this range a little bit. There's a lot, there's a number of guys I like later. Mm-hmm. Jarvis Landry, you know, all those guys that we were talking about, Curtis Samuel. I mean, even uh, Van know. Jefferson, right? The next wide receiver after Josh Palmer. He's facing similar, probably, opportunity. I, there's a bigger challenge with Robert Woods coming back off of the ACL, but Robert Woods is coming off an ACL. Van Jefferson produced decently this year, and we've already seen the Rams' offense work with three wideouts. So I, I think it's easier to make a case for Van Jefferson than for Josh Palmer in there, right? Yeah, and if Mike Williams comes back, Josh, you know, Palmer's ADP is going to drop three or four rounds, probably. I like Cole Komet right here. I think, you know, there's a guy who he's escaping a non-rational coaching situation. Will there be rational coaching? Who knows? But we know that they can't really be less rational. I don't think they're going to re-sign Jimmy Graham. You know, so there you can get a guy in Cole Komet who's going to be your number two tight end. He's going to be on the field all the time versus Palmer, who's more speculative and I would be a lot more interested in Palmer if that 10.2 per catch was more like 13 or 14, because that's what you really need to to regret not taking him. You need a guy who's going to be ex- a little more explosive than Palmer showed. Um, but that could come. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, that's my thoughts. I don't want to beat a dead horse, even though the horse is already dead and I'm still kicking him. <laughs> All right, we'll finish up with the Denver Broncos. Another situation that's, uh, you know, we had a real old school coaching staff. It's trendy to say Aaron Rodgers is going to come here, but Aaron Rodgers could come here. I mean, you know, the whole idea of Hackett being hired, the a guy that Rodgers has comfortability with, um, you've got a lot of weapons there. When I look at this team, and I haven't done it yet, but you could definitely build some Denver stacks because if Rogers does go there, all those, all the players are going to, you know, jump a couple rounds. Yeah. So I I don't think I've drafted Aaron Rodgers yet. When you have drafted him, have you treated him as though he's going to stay in green Bay or go to Denver or just not even. I've only drafted him twice. Okay. And one time I think I had Devontae Adams and I just went full green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the way you do it, right? Yeah. That's why we do volume so that we can cover different, you know, we can, you know, it's, uh, we can put different, you know, we're, we're playing the lottery, right? Or, or what, mm-hmm. what's the game with the spinning the wheel roulette, right? We're playing yeah. a little bit of roulette, especially with early best ball. I want to put chips on both. When we look at the ADPs, I still think Jerry Judy is going a little too early at wide receiver. 37 your thoughts on jerry judy i'm not sure i I might have taken him once so far i think that's an okay range the biggest problem for me with every single pass catcher in denver is the presence of every single other pass catcher in denver now if aaron Rodgers lands there i think jerry judy is a nice pick at wide receiver 37 but he's probably going to become wide receiver 25 
if that happens. He was the target leader when he was back and Cortland Sutton basically disappeared. But then Denver extended Cortland Sutton, extended Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler's coming back from his ACL. They have been keeping they have Noah Fant. They've been keeping Albert Oakwick Boonham regularly involved with Noah Fant there. So like I could look at any one of these individual players and like him and say, I- I'm willing to take a shot that something happens, but they have so many guys and I don't think that they favor any one of them enough to make him uh, a, a potential fantasy bonanza this year. Yeah. And, and as I said that, as you were talking, it kind of crystallized the thought that I had had, but then escaped, which is stacking Denver is risky, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, because you're paying pretty good prices and you don't know who the quarterback is. If Rodgers does go there, yeah, you've missed out by, you know, I, I think it makes sense to do it once or twice, perhaps. But in general, without Rodgers, I'm, I don't know how much I want to stack these guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it could be, man, it's a tough one. Because um, if you do take a Judy and a Fant or a Fant and a Sutton, and then you hit the, you know, even if you don't have Rodgers and you get, you hit the lottery, right? Those guys are going to j- each jump, you know, 20, 30 spots. Now, one of them might fail, but the mm-hmm. fact that you've gotten them so late, you know, I want to talk about Cortland Sutton because he didn't look as explosive. But a lot of times the second year, we've talked about this, you and I, it's the second year after a major injury. So, you know, you're, you're getting Cortland Sutton like 30 picks after Jerry Judy and again, the, the, the ball's thrown up in the air with the new coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me, first of all, Judy and Noah Fant are the two guys I would be most interested in. And they're, they're still guys that I have to talk myself into taking some shares of Cortland Sutton. I, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens now that he's more removed from the ACL, but even his last year in college, he fell behind. And I I'm trying to remember what the wideouts name was, but it was a slot guy. Uh, who joined his team late in college and then played in Washington. His first name was Trey. I forget the last name. So I I just wonder with these little signs from college to last year when Jerry Judy was on the field where Sutton just kind of slides out of the target picture. I don't know. It's tough for me to see him sliding into it unless Judy goes down and they have a quarterback. And that's uh, two bets I have to make on, on a wide receiver four here. I just... There, it doesn't excite me. Yeah, which is why I think taking one guy in almost every lineup, you know what I mean? Just pick one. Right. And 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 overall get your exposure that way without like wasting teams on them. I think their ADPs are late enough. Mm-hmm. And, w- and one thing you'll notice when you, you know, like if you look at my ADP chart real quickly, you know, when you look at early guys who miss, you get down to 12, you got a 13, you got an 11, you got a nine, uh, you got a four. All right. You get down to where these guys are going now. Like Jerry Judy missed all that time, right? And, and didn't play that well when he came back and still had a 13% advance rate, mm-hmm. right? Cortland Sutton, as bad as he turned out to be, at a 17%, you know, if I said to you, you could take a shot on Cortland Sutton and he'll come out about right even, mm-hmm. you would, you know, if I had said to you, what do you think Cortland Sutton's uh, advance rate was last year? 17% is average. My guess is you would have went under by a few. Yeah, I would have. Yep. So that's one of the things that came out of my study is, you know, missing individual guys in that range isn't as big a deal as you would think it is. But what you do run into is Debo at 33%, you know, not that far off in that range. So right next to Cortland Sutton is Debo at 33%. So every so that's where you do lose mm-hmm. um, is in the fact that when you when someone has, a, you know, a, a season where, you know, Debo is now going about pick two, five to six. When you have that kind of season from the seventh, eighth round, you're going to have a, a really nice uh, advance rate. So those are the kind of thoughts that you think about when it comes to these guys. 
but it is far less risky to take chances on players late. It's more of an opportunity cost when you miss. Yeah, and I guess the thing that – so I, I think Sutton is somebody that I always tell myself maybe I should get a little bit more exposure to. I can't say that I'm all that worried about missing out on a Debo season from him, but you know, could he go from 46 to 30 or 24, especially if Jerry Judy went down? Um, you know, there's, there's some upside to him. Yeah. Noah Fant had a not very good year, 18%, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, he didn't help you. Um, who was he? He was, but part of, see, this is why you've got to really look at these rates. He was right next to Logan Thomas, Robbie Anderson, Trey Sermon, um, you know, got uh, Beckham guys who really busted. So that's what kept his rate uh, floating a little higher. So when you look at win rates and advance rates, you've got to consider all these different factors. Um, Anyway, um, Javante Williams, um, the assumption, obviously, from ADP is that he is going to be the man. Uh, Running back seven, you are not getting a discount on this dude. And yet I still do find myself taking him some because of the upside your thoughts yeah i I agree a lot of times he would be the guy i'm saying you you folks are taking him too early but i watched what happened with jonathan taylor last year and that's basically i think the argument for javante williams i think he's good Uh, i mean he since he was a prospect people were comparing him to nick chubb as a runner and i think he delivered enough maybe his production last year is being overrated in in some ways like if you look at football outsiders measures he was just 41st uh, and 50th in their two main rushing efficiency metrics. Um, he finished behind Melvin Gordon in both of those. But if you look at the PFF metrics, he was fifth in elusive rating. He was 10th in yards after contact per carry. So definitely a good player overall. Showed he has the receiving chops that we wondered about. And Melvin Gordon, I mean, it would make sense for Denver to move on from Melvin Gordon in free agency because he's just a running back who doesn't pass block well, doesn't catch the ball that well. He's old and he was expensive. So there should be opportunity for Javante Williams. And the upside is something along the lines of what Jonathan Taylor did this past season. Yeah. I, I think that as I'm thinking this through the assumption, right? Where, where do you and I get our edge? We get our edge in looking at what people are assuming. And then we're able to balance sometimes what people assume is wildly optimistic or wildly pessimistic, right? In this case, I think people are a little over-optimistic about Javante Williams because Hackett comes out of a system where they've always kept two backs, Mm -hmm. right? And they've used two backs, right? Jamal Williams was not nearly the back that Aaron Jones was, and yet he was given somewhere around 40% every year of the work. So you're drafting Javante Williams as if he's going to get 70, 80% of the work. I think, you know, and this is a really deep running back class. It's not that high end. So it's a long way of saying, yes, everyone, uh, what's the assumption? That people will either bring back, they'll either bring back Melvin Gordon or let Javante run free. When the truth is they could easily bring in a second back in the draft in the second or third round, you know, who could challenge and 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 just even if they want to keep Javante Williams fresh, keep you from hitting the ceiling that you think you're getting with him. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth noting that Nathaniel Hackett was the OC in Jacksonville when they had Leonard Fournette, who was getting workhorse stuff there. So my thing to remember but also. Is that- they also used the four, uh, the fourth pick in the draft on Lenny. Right. And, um, you know, so th- th- it could have come down from the top that we drafted this horse, you use them. So it- it'll be interesting. You know, the problem is I think it's more likely they bring in someone in the draft than they bring in someone in free agency. What I'm keeping in mind here is Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor And when Derrick Henry arrived in Tennessee, everybody was like, all right, they drafted Derrick Henry in the second round. He's going to be the guy. He was not the guy the first season. There was like the second year. All right, now he's going to be the guy. All they have is Deion Lewis. He was not the guy the second season. So it didn't work out then. He finally did end up being the guy. Obviously, he delivered since then. But the point is, 
I, I guess it's the rational coaching thing. They should have been giving Derrick Henry the ball more early on, but they weren't. So last year, Jonathan Taylor, I was like, well, how is he going to pay off at this mid to late first round price if they're going to throw the ball to Naheem Hines so much? So there we're assuming that things are going to continue the way that they are, which would have been rational. And it didn't. They saw what we saw. They have a dominant running back and they let him dominate touches. So I don't know if Javante Williams is going to dominate touches or if they're going to go sign DeMarco Murray to join him in the backfield this year. So I'm going to treat it as though both of those are possibilities. I don't want to be out on Javante Williams, but I also, he's also not a can't miss player for me if I'm picking like seventh or eighth in round one. Yeah. So I kind of cap my first and second round guys, as I've mentioned around 15%. And I try not to go below five too often on, uh, unless I really think a guy's mispriced. Javante's a guy that right now I want to be at least even weight on and slightly over, but I don't feel the need to go to 15 on him. Yeah, I, I would say that's about my territory too. And especially you know, because the wide receiver's going in that range. I had so much Noah Fant last year, <laughs> and, and um, it was very disappointing. I'm not as excited this year when you look at, well, he's tight end 11. I've been taking a little bit of him. But Komet's been the guy, you know, I've tended to wait another round and go for Komet, who I think has uh, less people to fight with for targets and doesn't have another tight end like Albert O. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think Albert O is just going to disappear and, and, and not play. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't see any reason to be overweight on Fant like I was. I mean, what I, I liked about Fant was his spike week potential, mm -hmm. right? He was a guy who, you know, in college and in the pros, that he was boom or bust. I love guys like that in the range where I was taking him. But now with so many mouths to feed, it's harder to see him getting enough spike weeks to hurt me if I don't take him. Yeah, I had Noah Fant. I loved Noah Fant heading into last season. He was one of my primary tight end targets. And he was my number to, one owned tight end. You'd love to look at this and think, well, this is a good spot where you could see rational coaching turn Noah Fant into a primary target here. But is it irrational to give targets to Albert O, who is a much better athlete than his draft capital suggests? And he had injuries in college kind of helping to push him down. I don't know. I, I think it's just as rational to use both of those guys. Because if you have two tight ends that big and athletic, why not keep using them? So I, I won't, I'm not going to be totally out on Fant, but yeah, I'm not excited the way that I was last year. And, you know, he's, he's in that mix there that you just showed. Nobody which, which is when they tend to go, which is when they tend to go off, <laughs> right. um, you know, but he got 90 targets last year. Alberto got 40. So, you know, I, I just don't see that changing all that much. He was effective, except this 9.9 .9 yards per catch. You know, what did I just say about spike weeks? I mean, it's possible. So as a rookie, he had 14.1, but now he's had back-to-back -back years of pretty average. Like, if you put that on a chart, that's, that's pretty average, you know, stuff. No offense, certainly a guy who could get a boost from Aaron Rodgers coming to town, maybe unlocking this. Oh, yeah. Although Rodgers has never really, other than the Bob Tunyon year and the half of uh, Jermichael Finley year, everyone was going to be the next Jermichael Finley, and no one ever was. He prefers throwing to wide receivers, all things being equal. Right. I think Noah Fant is a little bit closer to a wideout than probably nearly all of the tight ends he played with there. You need a Rodgers to go there. And, and it wouldn't hurt to take a few shares of, uh, of Fent now in case that happens. Uh, but I think you could regret them if you don't. Anyone else here, Tim Patrick, I think is fine. You know, I don't get that contract, but, you know, I haven't gotten a lot of things the Broncos have done post Peyton Matt, you know, signing Peyton Manning. So I think that's about it for me. Yeah, it's not a, a team I'm looking at a whole lot. And he, a healthy KJ Hamler would be intriguing at that level, but I'm not taking a speed guy coming off an ACL tear. 
All right. Well, Matt, I uh, really appreciate you doing these four shows. It was a lot of fun. And I would love for you to think of like what could we can study next. So if you uh, have some ideas and you want to continue to do these, I am more than open. Um, I've got, uh, I think I got Dwayne McFarland coming up. I've got, I, w- I want to go over his uh, utilization report mm-hmm. and and have him teach me how to use that. The guy from Rotoviz, Michael Dubner, is going to come on and teach me how to use his his new tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think of some things, man, I really enjoy doing these shows with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on. It sounds like you have a couple of good brains to pick coming up too. I, we've had Dwayne on our show a couple of times. Um, I haven't talked to Michael Dubner yet, but I saw the the best ball tool that he came out with. So good stuff. Uh, I've, I've had him on. He's a really bright dude. Yeah, it seems and, like it just from looking at the tool. Um, I, I think that's it, man. I, I again, I, I just appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you, sharks, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll do some more things together. Oh yeah, we'll all be swimming in these waters for the next few months. I think. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Thanks for joining us, Kevin and Jose. Thank you for uh, jumping in, and we will see you tomorrow night where Matt's other half, um, Jared, comes on, and we will do we will finish up the series with the NFC West. He's calling my Valentine. No, I was well. I was going to call him your work wife. All right, we'll see you later. Take care.